Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So here's what happens. People should come in, but they should hear that God loves them, but that he's not okay with their lifestyle, that they need to change, that their lifestyle needs to change, that their mindset needs to change, that their habits need to change. Not so he will love them, but because he loves them, because he laid down his life for them. He wants them to have a relationship with him. Today we have the third and final part of a three-part message entitled The Lamp, The Seeds, and The Storms. Pastor Sam is looking at the parable of the mustard seed and the time that the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus' commands. We are in Mark 4 and we start up today in verse 30, so let's listen in. Because of the first parable introduced in this same chapter, the parable of the sower and the soils, where we saw that the birds come and snatch away the good seed. The birds we learned were representatives of Satan. I've always seen this parable as a negative, as a warning. And uh, I do want to say not all my peers see it that way. Not all my missionary friends see it that way. So I want to share the two ideas for you. And I want to want to share that God's given me a revelation. They're absolutely both true. It all has to do with timing, though, and I'll explain that. So in light of the first parable, I've always seen this as the enemy's work. It's a picture of unnatural growth as the church just becomes this massive thing that that just anyone and everyone can fit into. The birds are there eating and and stealing away the seed from others and such. So uh, in church history, we see the purifying fires of persecution were extinguished by a man named Constantine the Great. Now listen, I'm not a big fan of anyone who adds the great to the back of their name. You know, if you start calling yourself Josh the Great or Jose the Great, you have problems. And Constantine decided, I'm great, you know? And, and so anyway, that, that he, it, he makes an edict for time's sake in 313 AD, decriminalizing Christian worship, calling for religious tolerance and setting the stage for Christianity to ultimately become the official authorized religion of the Roman Empire. The effects of that weren't all that great. But track with me on this for a moment. Up to this point, Christians were being crucified. Christians were being beheaded. Christians were being stoned. Christians were being sawn in two. Christians were being killed with spears and swords. They were being persecuted. They were sent to be eaten by the lions. They were forced to fight against one another and as entertainment for the masses of Roman citizens. And so during that time, we're told that the blood of the martyrs became that it watered the seed of the gospel and the church just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. But once the church was, well, decriminalized, once the church was authorized, all of a sudden, all these unbelieving pagans poured into its fellowship. They weren't converted. They weren't born again. They never heard they needed to repent. They were never told unless you repent of sin, unless you believe in Christ, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. 
And because of that, the church witness was not only watered down, but you had all these unbelievers sitting side by side with believers. And in many cases, the unbelievers rose to power because, you know, people, the, the flesh desires and loves to be first. And here's where I'm going with all this. I, I do think we should always have unbelievers in our midst. I pray for them, I reach out to them, I invite them, you should be doing the same. And no unbeliever should ever come through these doors and feel uncomfortable sitting with us. And here's an irony, some of them do. And they look and they think, oh my gosh, I don't belong with all these spiritual people. Would you just get to know them so they can relax and realize, hey, you're just like them. Saved by grace though, through faith. That not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. So here's what happens. People should come in, but they should hear that God loves them, but that he's not okay with their lifestyle, that they need to change, that their lifestyle needs to change, that their mindset needs to change, that their habits need to change. Not so he will love them, but because he loves them, because he laid down his life for them. He wants them to have a relationship with him. And light and darkness just don't connect. They just don't fellowship because the light dispels the darkness. So that was a season where things were going the wrong direction. As bad as it seemed when Christians were persecuted, Christians were purified, Christians were holy. They stood out in the community as those who would stand up for the Lord even to the point of death. So they're added to the earthly roles without being added to the Lamb's book of life. It was devastating to the spiritual health of Jesus' church and to the witness of Jesus' church that we're a separated people unto him and for him. In 380 AD, the Edict of Thessalonica by Emperor Theodosius sealed the deal, made, it, made uh, Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it's never gone well when Christians were just accepted by everyone. Be careful, Jesus said, when everyone speaks well of you. Now, we don't want to give them reason to dislike us, but it's not a popularity contest. We want to be honest with them. We need to be able to speak the truth in love. And this is a culture that is not accepting of truth or absolutes or, or anything that would challenge their desires to do whatever they want, as if there'll be no you know, um, no outcome of that or no negative outcome of that. Well, there's another side to this coin or equation or whatever we might call it. And that is many missionary organizations see this parable as a promise of the universal growth and ultimate triumph of Jesus' church. And I want to say, because I'm convinced the first is true, I've often just said, well, they can't both be true. And then I realized, because I'm finally maturing. Here I am, 40 years later, starting to get it. I realized that, that what they see is true. It just can't happen here or now. It's not a reason not to go out. You see, if you're leaving everything and everyone to, to go out on the mission field, you'd like to think you're going to be effective out there. But the idea that everybody's going to be one to the Lord, that the whole planet's going to become Christians and then Jesus will come back to claim his bride, it's foreign to what he taught. He taught that last days would be like the days of Noah, 
things didn't go so well, as you're aware. The days of Lot, things weren't going well there either. And, and, he, and, and he said there would be tribulation such as never been or ever will be again. Paul tells us men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and lovers of stuff and lovers of everything except lovers of God and lovers of people. There's so much to say that can't be the case. It's not going to happen first, but it is going to happen. And here's how it plays out. In the millennium, after the tribulation, let, let's get the, the order, after the re resurrection and rapture, after the tribulation, seven years, after his return to rule and reign at that time, his rule and reign of righteousness will cover the earth. Righteousness, we're told, will cover the earth. No one will have to teach his neighbor because everyone will know the Lord. Everyone will know the truth. That day's coming, but it's not coming before Jesus comes. There won't be peace on earth till the Prince of Peace returns to the earth as he promised he would. This is why there's so much chaos and confusion related to the city of Jerusalem because you know Jesus ministered there in the temple, that Jesus was crucified there in Jerusalem, that he was raised from the dead there in Jerusalem, that, that he you know, just went just outside of Jerusalem and ascended up into heaven. But he promised when he comes again, he'll set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. That, that same mount where he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That, that, that uh, mount will split in two. He'll enter through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had to be, you know, inhabited, has to be inhabited when he returns. That, that he will enter and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem over the entire earth for a thousand years years. So both of these prove to be useful and true. We've seen the first, we're seeing the first, but we will see the second in the promised future glory. With many such parables, verse 33, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. I like that. He didn't give them more than they could chew on or understand or absorb. He gave them just what they needed. He does that same for us. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. It's a reminder. He, he, when he earlier said those who seem to have, those who, who have uh, it, what they seem to have will be taken from them was the actual, you know, idea there. And, and it, it's, it's the same thing. He had to explain to his disciples, but they were seeking the explanation. Explain to us, tell us, what were you getting at? What were you talking about? What, what, what's the meaning of this parable? And so it was, and so it is. Well, on the same day, and it's our last little snapshot, and I like that Mark condenses things, and, and, and it's like he gives us not, not this long thing, but, but he gives us a picture here and a picture here and a picture here and a picture here. Same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Those words are so important in this last portion dealing with the storms of life because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he will ask them at some point in this short story, why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you believe my word? And he'd say that to some of us today. When they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat 
as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's a strange question for people who had forsaken all to follow him, who had entrusted him with their spiritual, eternal lives, and now were concerned that he was just going to let them drown out there in the middle of the lake. I want to say it's impossible for that to happen because he chose them on purpose and with a purpose. He needed them, now that he was discipling them, to go out and represent him. And it's true for us as well. The storms we face, they're not all literal, you know, in the boat and the water coming over, but we have relational issues and we have, have health issues and we have, have um, you know, spiritual issues and emotional issues and financial problems. See, everything else is an issue. Finances, they're a problem. But um, they're saying something that we've all been guilty of or will at some point. Lord, don't you care? How can you let this happen to us? We're serving you. We're with you. And they should have remembered. Listen, in Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, not their, their proper names, but the ones we're most familiar with, when they were cast in the fiery furnace, Jesus was with them in the fire. And when these guys are in the water and the water's coming over the boat and the boat's filling and they're thinking, we're going to drown. Well, listen, if he can rescue someone, by being with them in the fire, he can rescue someone by being with them in the water. Between the two, I'm much more comfortable with water, by the way. If I have to have a trial, I don't prefer the fiery trial. The water trial sounds okay to me. Then he arose. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I love that. The words, peace, be still, are literally be muzzled. It's the same words he uses when demons begin to say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, we recognize you. He just says, be muzzled. But I like this. He's telling the wind. He's telling the sea. He's just saying, calm down, be still. And, and instead of telling the disciples to calm down, he just stills the storm. Now, he says to them, why are you so fearful? And he would say that to some of us today. Well, I just went and there was the diagnosis and, and they're not sure what's gonna happen or, or, or my, I just, they're laying off a lot of people at work and I thought the economy was booming, but apparently at my place, they're moving. And, and I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how I'm gonna provide for my family. There are so many things that we deal with. And so he, he would say to us, as he was saying to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He didn't say, let's, let's give it our best shot. Let's go out there and see if we can make it across. He said, let's cross over to the other side. And this has spiritual implications because there's another side on the other side of death, as it were. And, and uh, you know, we can never bridge that gap between us and God. We can never build a road to heaven. We can't even, we, well, anyway, we're, we're pretty inept when it comes to making things right with him. So here's what he did. He built the road to heaven and it looks just like a cross. It comes down from him to us. It's got this part going across. Jesus hung and died and bled on it. And we can walk that cross 
to the very throne room of God. And it's the only way we'll get there. It's the only way we'll ever make it. But he's saying, you'll make it. Let's cross over to the other side. If you're with him, hey, you will make it to the other side. Why so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Then they feared exceedingly. Not the storm, but the whole situation saying to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Few quick thoughts and we'll pray together and we'll worship together. Jesus doesn't promise to keep us from life's storms, trials, tribulations, persecutions and such. He promises to be with us in them, to walk with us in the midst of all we go through. And he assures us, even as he said to them, let's cross to the other side. He's saying, hey, I'll be with you in that trial. I am with you in this storm and we're gonna make it together to the other side. The great windstorm arose, the waves overwhelmed them. That word overwhelmed, I fully understand it. There are so many times as a parent, as a grandparent, as a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, I have been in over my head. I have thought, unless God, unless you come through, I just don't see how this one works out. And I can assure you, he always came through. He still comes through. He will always come through. If you feel overwhelmed today, just know he's with you and for you and not against you. Jesus could rest in the middle of the storm. And I love this picture. They're freaking out and he's asleep in the boat. Just finally some peace and rest. It's like me in that MRI machine, you know, it's like knock, knock, knock. People said, how can you stand it? Nobody phones me in there. Nobody talks to me in there. I'm like, this is awesome. But, but Jesus could rest in the storm because he knew he wasn't gonna die by drowning. He knew they weren't gonna be able to throw him off the cliff after he shared with them there in Nazareth in the synagogue. They tried to throw him off the cliff. Other times they tried to stone him. He just walks through the midst of them. Why? Because he came to die on the cross. He said, we're going up. I'll be handed over. I'll be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day. We don't know how we're gonna die or when we're gonna die, but we can be certain unless the rapture happens first, we're all going to die. But death, that's just breathing our last here and breathing our first in his presence. Shutting our eyes here and opening our eyes and looking into his face. And listen, there's no gap this side of the cross. Oh, there was, but that gap's removed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We'll talk more about this in the context of, of his power over death in our next study. And, uh, but but here, here's the thing, he could rest and they should have been able to rest because he had told them, this is how I'm gonna die, not like this. And, and they would be there, you see. Finally, Jesus will calm every storm, but not before using it to strengthen our faith in him. And there are so many things that he allows that we don't understand. But Romans 8 says he's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So those things we don't understand or don't appreciate or fear or would do anything to avoid, he's like, hey, I'm with you and I'm in this and I'm using this. Finally, the lamp the seeds, the storms. You are the light of the world. You are good seed in this world. He has strategically placed you where you can shine for him 
and where you can produce fruit for him. You're safe in every storm, secure in him. Some of you, shining bright for him. You are true lights in this world. You are on fire for the Lord. But some, truth be told, barely burning. I'm, I'm not saying, well, maybe we should just get the t-shirt, dim for him, you know? It's, it's, he wants us to shine bright. He doesn't want us just to have a little light. He wants our light to be fanned into a flame. And I love this picture because, you know, he, he, he talks about living in us and, and ministering through us, reaching out through us. And, and this is a good point, that the love of God, that the, 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 the Jesus within us causes us not just to reflect his light and love, but to radiate it because it's coming from the inside. You see, the, the moon is cold because it reflects the sun, but we're warmth and light. And, and there's light, there's love, there's warmth, there's radiant heat coming forth from us because he lives in us and through us. Some of you are literal basket cases, secret agents for the Lord, hiding your light under the bushel at work endangering your camo even. And, and so you're wasting those opportunities that you have because he's going to call us home and it's got to happen soon. It can't go much further or much longer. But whenever he calls us, all our opportunities to, to be the light of the world and to shine for him and to, to plant the good seed of his word, they'll all be before us. Finally, all will be exposed in time. Those secret Christians, well, you'll be manifested as what you are. And it may be a fiery trial that, that causes you to show up as, as the real deal. But the fakes, the frauds, the hypocrites, they're going to be exposed as well. So he says, listen carefully, take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear, and take heed who you hear. Lord, thank you for your amazing, life-transforming word. Thank you that in these last two studies, you have laid a foundation for us that should be enough to fully convince us that there's nothing you can't do in us or through us because of what you've done first for us. And there's no trial you can't get us through. There's no problem you won't be able to address. You're greater than our every need and aware of every need. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that each of us would take seriously the challenge to just ask, am I shining brightly for you? Am I, am I sowing the good seed of your word in this generation that so desperately needs to know? Not only is there such a thing as truth, but you are the way, the truth, and the life. Life eternal, forgiveness, everlasting life is in you. Life abundant in you. Life in you. And we possess it, Lord, and we want to give you the glory for it. And we pray together. We unite right now for any and all in our midst who've never given their lives to you that this would be the moment. This would be that time where the light goes on and they understand and they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And while every head's bowed and every eye's closed and every Christian's praying, if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never confessed that you were created by Him and for Him and it's your own sin that separates you from Him, 
Not all the things that happened to you or those things you had no control over. It's the things you've decided and you've done and you've spoken and those things you failed to do that you know he's called you to. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I've loved you. Colossians 1.16 says this about Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus is Lord over nature. He created the wind and the waves, and they answer to him. The wind and waves recognize Jesus as God and obey him. But humans, with all of our intelligence, many times choose not to obey him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.